This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional Welcome insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by Troy Erdahl, who is the Director of Athletics and Activities, wearing multiple hats at St. Anthony, New Brighton Schools, just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Coach, thanks for being here today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, let's dive in here. Why don't you give us a little background as to your journey and how you ended up being the athletic director there and the steps along the way that you've encountered. For sure. And journey is a great word for it. I come from a family of teachers and coaches. So it's been something that's been in my blood all my life. My grandfather was a Hall of Fame coach and teacher. My father's a Hall of Fame coach and teacher. So I think it's something that I saw early on in life. I don't know that I knew until late high school, college, that it's a career path I'd want to take on, but it was always modeled for me and it was always there. And I was lucky in high school to have some wonderful mentors and coaches that continued into college for me. And that's really where I got my foot in the door for coaching is through some of those mentors who provided opportunities for me to coach at the youth level. And so in high school, I was a youth baseball coach. And then in college, I was able to be an American Legion baseball coach. In college, I was lucky enough to play three sports at uh, Hamlin University, exposed to a number of wonderful coaches there. And so really, all those influences have helped me get to the point I'm at today. But it was a connection with the AD prior to me at St. Anthony Village High School that got me, got my foot in the door as, as a head coach. And this will be my 23rd year now as the head coach at St. Anthony Village High School, head baseball coach. And the AD that, that hired me, he knew my grandfather and they went back decades prior. And it was one of those things of, if you're Bill Franti's grandkid, you're a good person. And so that actually helped me get a teaching job, helped me uh, with that first head coaching job and history wrote itself from there. And I've had all kinds of wonderful opportunities just by raising my hand along the way. And so a number of years later, I became the AD at our school, and then I've been able to be a part of uh, the professional associations and boards for our state association, for our coaches association, just by being willing to raise my hand and say, hey, I'm interested and I can help in any way. And I, I think that's uh, probably been one of the keys to where I'm at now in a wonderful place as, uh, as the AD at, at St. Anthony Village High School and as someone who's been able to coach and be a head coach for 23 years. Yeah, no doubt. The pathway unfolds differently for all of us, but it's it's interesting that you mentioned a few things that have shown up on the show before, one being network, one being willingness to do more than your share and to put yourself in a situation that you may or may not be ready for, but you're willing to try it. And I'm going to circle back to those two things in a second. But in the meantime, you mentioned that you played three sports in college, which is a complete and utter outlier in the modern world. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what you were able to learn from each of those? And I'm going to come back to this later as well, because one of my main kind of soapbox deals is the trying to maintain that multi-sport athlete in the world of sports specialization. So I'd love to hear that story. How did you end up playing three? How did they contrast and support one another? And how have you been able to infuse those into your teaching and coaching journey? I'm with you. And it's probably because of my experiences, I'm worried about the multi-sport athlete and the future of the multi-sport athlete. I, I fear it's going the way of the dinosaur. We're seeing less and less all the time. I know that in my situation, without question, it made me a better athlete in each of the other sports. And as a high school athlete, I was a football, hockey, baseball player. And then in college, I lettered in all three. My sophomore year, I, I played football. Hamlin University is a D3 school. As part of the MIAC's, a, a great competitive D3 conference. 
And so four years of hockey, four years of baseball, one year of football. And I learned a lot about time management. I really learned because obviously being scheduled so tightly, uh, you need to take advantage of every opportunity, whether it's your studies, taking care of yourself, whether it's preparing and improving as an athlete for that next sport, and then putting time and attention and focus into the priority, which was the in-season sport. And the other part that really happened, and for those multi-sport athletes who get to learn, gain, and benefit so much, you get coached by so many other wonderful people. And I think that was one of the greatest takeaways for me is the exposure to so many different coaching philosophies and ideas. Some I liked, some I didn't like, but that's what really um, made me more of a well-rounded coach and understanding approaches, different angles um, from different people. And so uh, I wouldn't change a thing about my experience. I'm, I'm happy I had the opportunity and I wish more of our student athletes took advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. I, it's something that I battle here every day. And thankfully, I'm at a school where participation in our co-curricular program is compulsory, so I can manipulate it a little bit early. But you still deal with it where you have what I would call the misconception that, hey, if I push all my chips in on this, I have a better opportunity to play after high school. When the reality of the space for us, at least over the last two years where we've placed 31 kids in college athletics 80% of those kids are are multi-sport, I'd say even 90%, and I'd say 50% of them are three sports. So it's the math doesn't math with what you think and how to re-educate based on data, right? This generation and what they're being sold outside of education. Yeah, if you're a great athlete, scouts and colleges are going to find you, right? We in, in Minnesota, we like to use Joe Maurer as a wonderful example. Joe Maurer, through his senior year, was a three-sport athlete. And he excelled in all three sports. Here was someone who was looking at going number one in the MLB draft, looking at going to Florida for college football as a quarterback. And he still played basketball that winter, right? He was a very good basketball player. But you're absolutely right. You don't need to limit your opportunities for a future opportunity. As a matter of fact, I think that closes the door on some future opportunities. Yeah, that's a great statement. I'm going to steal that one. All right, let's go back to your opening. You talked about your grandfather and your father and the way in which the groundwork was laid unintentionally. It wasn't necessarily your idea that you were going to land there. And, and I was listening to you and laughing because my mother was uh, the athletic director at a school before she became a, a school administrator when I was five to 10 years old. And not that it planted the seed, but there's got to be some connection, right? And then also, your comment about if you are related to this person, then you're a good, you've got a kind of a, a built in opinion of yourself. And similarly, for me in the area where I live, where my mother was a 30 year administrator, everybody knows everybody. And laying that all just to, to ask the question of how have you been able to share or articulate for young coaches, for kids going off to college, for professionals as you've climbed the association ladder, let's call it, with board roles, because they're combined. But but how have you seen that network open doors and how do you advise younger in the, the discipline people to jump on those opportunities? Don't just hold yourself up in the office, but get involved with the associations. Leverage your network into creating more opportunity and connections. And I don't think this is rocket science, but too many of us fail to capture the chance. 
surround yourself with great people, right? Surround yourself with great people. We know we become the average of the people we surround ourselves with. And the best way to surround yourself with great people is to raise your hand to say, hey, how can I help with this group? How can I help with this association? You're not going to become likely the president of the board immediately. And I would argue that shouldn't be your goal. Your, your goal, especially as a servant leader, is to find a way to nudge this world into a better place. And really, that's my purpose. I serve to use the power of school activities to make the world a better place. How do I do that? I do it by working alongside others to help fulfill their purpose. That purpose that we can do some fantastic, wonderful things through school sports, but it needs to be intentional. And we need good people doing that work. And in every one of those groups, whenever I've raised my hand and had the opportunity to be a part of it, you're making new networks and new connections that, that are opening future doors for you. And I've never done it for those reasons, but it's the truth. Life is all about relationships, making a positive difference in another person's life. And so if you're absent those connections and relationships, you'll be missing those future opportunities to make that difference. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's the key word, right? If you're trying to serve others, then you need to have partners along the way that you need to develop by reaching out and trying to figure out who else you can bring into these kids' lives. So you started as the baseball coach. You eventually worked your way into the role of athletic director and activities director. It's going to be 23 years ago to try to remember, but what's something you realized right away that uh, you weren't ready for when you became the head coach, even though you'd done coaching? And the same question for when you became the AD and then the athletic, uh, the activities director. And this is really just about no matter how well you're prepared, you're never ready. And how do you assess those things that you thought you had handled and now you need to give it a second look and, and challenge your belief system on it? I think it might tie into what we were already talking about with relationships. That's what's most important. Relationships are, are most important. And I, I knew that as an athlete, without question, I knew the significance of how it felt to be an athlete playing for another coach. But I think somehow as a coach, I forgot that in my early years. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I, I think there's a hell or high water of, uh, mentality that many coaches enter the game with. Of It's going to be my way or the highway. And we're going to do it this way because I said so. But it's missing the point of the work we're doing. And it's not effective. And I think that took me some time to understand that. I was coming out of college, had a lot of great ideas. I wanted to implement them. And I think I missed some key pieces along the way. And it wasn't a terrible experience for me or for my athletes. We had some really good success early on, but I think what I had really learned was that it is important to maintain and build and hold those relationships. And I flopped on an interview question early on. I know when I was interviewing for a job early on, one of the questions they asked was, is it important for your student athletes to like you? And I gave the answer that I think so many young coaches would give, which is no, it's important they respect me right? That, that respect piece, but not so much. I'd answer that differently now. I know that as a leader, if those that you're serving like you, that they're going to do more for you, they're going to be inspired by you, and they're likely to perform better. Doesn't mean it's a popularity contest, right? You're not showing up with popsicles every day to curry favor. But I think that relationship piece is significant. And as, as a leader and as a coach, it is important that those who are working with us, alongside us, have that connection, have that relationship, and that um, there is a closeness, there is a bond, and, and that we do like each other. And I think that's a question that every coach and every leader has to consider. Uh, is it important for those you serve to like you? And I think you can answer that differently and really start digging at the words of what's it mean to be liked, right? There's different ways we can look at that. 
But for many young coaches, myself included, I, I think we get the answer to that question wrong. Huh. <laughs> Great take. Uh, I want to respond briefly, but then I want to get back to your thoughts on some other things. I think in my experience as a coach myself when I was younger and now as an athletic administrator watching people go through this, it's almost similar to how you talk about an opponent on your schedule coming up that you should win easily as a trap game, where it's similar as a young coach. It's you, the analogy you used is I'm not here handing out popsicles and trying to curry favor. I think there's a fine line that's really hard for young isn't right, but inexperienced people new to the profession in regards to holding a high standard <clears throat> and still being able to be appreciated, respected, liked in the way in which is appropriate while maintaining boundaries that allow you to keep role definition at the center of it. I think that's a really delicate thing to balance. And I think our colleagues that kind of find themselves on the other side of that flip-flopping and having a tough time are the ones that I think get stuck in the question of or versus and, right? Like, how do you do both versus I got to be this person or this person? What are your thoughts on that? I'll borrow language from my superintendent. Uh, I'm lucky to work in a school district that views our athletics and activities programs as teaching and learning. And I have the opportunity to work very closely with um, our superintendent toward that mission. And, and she describes it very well. And, and using your words in part, you need to have high expectations and high support. You need both. And I think that's the balance that you were getting at. It is okay as a coach and as a leader to have high expectations for those you lead and to push them to be the absolute best they can be, but it has to come with high support. You have to have both. And with that support is care. That's the balance. That's the sweet spot that coaches need to be able to find is both high expectations and high support. And we're able to do that. Uh, that is something, but sometimes it takes a little work and practice and some reflection on how we get there. No, I love that description because often I think when we struggle as human beings, not just coaches and teachers, but it is often because we can't articulate the outcome we're trying to reach. Hell, I said it yesterday to somebody in regards to our school and uh, as a private school, right? There's a value add to what it is you're paying for. And I've always struggled to articulate what that is in, in a soundbite. And I think if you could do that the way that your superintendent seems to have done so, it gives permission to both teachers and coaches and anybody else, supervisors, leaders, to lean into that definition which I think is sometimes hard to figure out. So I thank you for that. Let me go to your book and then we'll circle back to some other things. Talk a little bit about the impetus for you writing it. Your book called Chasing Influence that is designed to help leaders become their best, right? But talk yep, about the impetus, point. talk about the, let's call it the high level takeaways and maybe one or two lessons that you think anybody can take and, and learn just by listening to you talk about it. It's been a labor of love. And so here it is, two years of uh, work to get to this point, but really it's been a career to get to this point. So Chasing Influence, Transformational Coaching to Build Champions for Life. I believe through the 
power of youth sports, school sports, that we actually do have the ability to make the world a better place and build champions for life. So I said that it's been two years in the making, but really a career. And, and that's true. At Santee Village High School, we've been doing weekly lessons with our teams and coaches and athletes for the better part of 18 years. I've been AD for 18 years now. Every week, we lead a lesson with our coaches and athletes. And people would ask, hey, are you ever going to write a book? I enjoy writing, but I, I always said no, because to write a book, you have to have something to write about. You need an idea. And it was two years ago, coming out of the first bad COVID waves, when we were able to travel again. And our family ha- loves going to Playa del Carmen uh, over winter break. And so we were fortunate to be able to get to Playa del Carmen over winter break. And at the end of the week, it was when you had to test to fly. And my wife and four children all tested negative for COVID, and I tested positive for COVID. Didn't feel bad, felt great, but I tested positive. And it was that time period where the U.S. had started to shrink our quarantine times, but Mexico was still on a 15-day quarantine. And so I was stuck in this no man's land of not knowing how long I truly would be stuck in paradise because the resort's rules were you can stay here as long as you need and we'll get you food. But as soon as you leave the room, you're gone. And so here I am stuck in the hotel room. And it was earlier in that week where I had the bolt of inspiration for what this book could become. And so I I took advantage of my quarantine to really flesh out and and, uh, start organizing my thoughts about chasing influence um, and how through that influence of a transformational coach, we can really transform community, transform individual lives and transform the world. So it's told in like a historical fiction or a narrative nonfiction format where it's drawing leadership stories. And it's really a book for anyone uh, to improve self and others. So whether you're a leader, a coach, an educational leader, the the lessons would apply equally as well. And so I did it in a narrative format because I'm a big believer in storytelling. And that's what we've done with our stories for the last 18 years about life lessons, moral and performance character that you can learn through sport if administered properly. And so I took those lessons and started to weave them together through a storyline of this transformational coach. And two years later, I'm, I'm happy to be sharing the product with, uh, with you and with the world. I got two things on that. Number one, the ability to see adversity as an opportunity that led to this book is something that we always try to help people understand. And during the whole COVID endeavor, you go back and forth, how you doing? How's this? And it was just like, my answer was always like, I'm dominating COVID. There's so much opportunity here. If you just look around, there's a lot of wins to be had. And I love that you got stuck and used it as an opportunity to do something that's beneficial to you, but also to the other people that might be a consumer of this. So that's awesome. And then the second piece on that is in this narrative, in this design to help others move from our generation's transactional approach to coaching to more of a transformational effect, what would you say are two things that people could do right now without even having any background that would uh, not only be transformational for their athletes, but for them as leaders? Uh, where I would start if I'm doing two quick things and I've got a couple of minutes to to challenge them in two areas, I, I would ask them to hone in on their why, on their purpose of, of why they show up each day. Been really lucky to work with Joe Ehrman closely for a number of years and, and Joe's first questions, right? First one is why do you coach? 
to, to be able to answer that question. Why do you? Is it for you or is it for others? And then the second one I'd come back to is, what do you want your legacy to be? And, and how will you define success? As you look down the road, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, what's going to be most significant and important to you? Are you trying to build a collection of trophies and things that are going to gather dust in a trophy case? Or are you trying to build a collection of memories and influence? And, and so I think those would be the two biggest, quickest, easiest takeaways for me for any new coach or someone just looking to reflect and maybe improve where they're already at. That's where I'd start. Let's talk about the second one. What do you want your legacy to be? Are you trying to build a history of trophies or of influence and memories? I'm, I'm, I'm going for the memories, right? I'm going for the connections. And I already know that. And for the coaches who have done this for a while, right? It's the time together away from sport that is really when people get back together for that class reunion or for that banquet, that's what they're laughing about. That's what they're talking about. And for us as coaches, we're competitive people. That's not going to go away, right? Uh, I love to win without question. On that, and I won't be ashamed to say it. That's something, and it's a goal of mine. And, and I try to do that each and every day, prepare athletes to be in a place to succeed because I think it's a life skill that they need. But it's not my purpose. You know, my, my purpose is about using this awesome game and, and using sports and using the platform of school and education, purpose-based sports to, to make a positive difference. And why would we be connected to schools if that weren't the goal? And, and I think sometimes we get it flipped around and backward and we start chasing wins, not chasing influence. And, and so for me and that legacy, boy, I hope we're telling stories. I hope we're, we're laughing a lot um, and, and talking about how well each of those athletes are now doing in their life and that they're coaches and that they're writing their own story. 100%. And uh, I would love to have you dig in a little bit because you mentioned it earlier that in 18 years, you guys have done weekly lessons with the coaches and athletes. And while there's a million different ways in which time gets in the way of that. But I'd love to know how you structure that, how you navigate the challenges of access, of presence, how you intentionally have built this in both top down from the athletics offices, but also siloed team by team and given some autonomy to pick this up as a model that travels from your site to other places. It's something that in a school like mine, which is a boarding school where they're so programmed every day, it's like finding the window to do these things is a challenge and hell, it's an excuse. But what are ways to hack that when you're dealing with situations where there's just not an easy fit for it? Two quick, easy answers. It's, it's what you prioritize, right? It's what's important. And if we say that we are teaching and learning and we are teaching these life skills to help athletes for the rest of their lives, and these are the conversations I have with with parents too is hey this is about more than developing athletes and i want that to happen in, in our programs i want our participants to have fun i want them to get better at something that they love to do right they're going to put as much time and effort into it but i also want them to become better people not just better athletes right and i think that's the significant piece is that they're becoming better people and so one is how you prioritize it and then second is providing that flexibility i'm fortunate to be surrounded by wonderful coaches. And, and I know that they have the pulse of their team and what their team needs to know and hear. And each week I'll, I'll send them a lesson as the idea. And it might be led by a team member, 
It might be led by an assistant coach. It might be the head coach, but it's flexible. They pick the day of the week. It's 10 to 15 minutes where they're going to talk about a certain conversation or topic, ask some questions and really dig in. Some choose to do it at the beginning of a practice. Some will use it as a break in the middle. Others will end practice with it. Uh, some have even led it with their parent groups. They have a Thursday night parent meeting and they say, hey, here's what we're talking about this week. And so in, in the book, there's it's filled with these stories and 20 of them are specifically called out in each chapter, at the end of each chapter. And I'll, I'll just give you a quick example. For those familiar with in, in you in, in California, with Redwoods. Redwoods are a wonderful example of what it means to be a, a teammate and to work with others. And you can use that metaphor of the roots of Redwoods, right? And, and they grow out. They don't grow down. They grow out. Why do they do that? So they can bond and tie in with all the Redwoods around them, which will help them stand. And you talk about the General Sherman Redwood, 2,500 years old. For 2,500 years, the time of Socrates is when General Sherman Redwood started growing. It's 275 feet tall, something like that. And how has it withstood all the natural disasters and all, all everything that's come at it for, for that long, whether it's mankind or weather, by being held up by its fellow Redwoods. And so we use stories like that to help our team members, our student athletes, understand the significance of being there to support and help others and how being on a team, you're responsible for uplifting and, and holding up those around you. Yeah, great story. And ironic about the Redwoods because we in the Central Coast are surrounded by pine trees, which basically don't have the same approach and they fall when the wind blows, often weeks after the rain because the ground is still soft. It's a great story, great analogy. Let me pivot into this. If you were to think about the way in which you were a multi-sport athlete, you're now baseball coach and you've been so for 23 years. I'm sure you've dabbled and coached some other things out of necessity like we have had to do coaching golf today in regards to transferability of skill, of approach, of concept. Just like our young athletes, I feel, are being sold a bill of goods that you can only get better by doing this sport. What have you seen across other sports that you've been able to adopt as a baseball coach or you've seen your staff be able to borrow and adapt and use in a sport that they saw that had nothing to do with the discipline they're coaching and the key point here is always open to learning right and, and having that mindset that uh, we're always becoming we've never arrived and so whether it's baseball a game of little things where once you stop learning you're going backward or whether you're learning from football or from lacrosse or basketball, there's always transferable lessons that you can learn from it. And I'll even use my own children. So I have a junior in high school this year who is a multi-sport athlete, and he's a football, same sports as dad. He's a football, hockey, baseball guy. But in fo And we talk about this. In football, he's getting better at lateral movement, right? Lateral movement is going to be a fantastic skill for him to work on as a catcher in baseball. The ability to cut left and right, and it's as a running back, something he's practicing every day on the football field that will help him as a catcher in baseball, but he might not ever directly see that. It is going to happen through course indirectly, and he will just get better, but without doing that, it never happened. That magic would never happen. And then I'll use hockey. He's a right-handed shot. He's a right-handed bat. We're strengthening hips and core muscles through taking hundreds of shots a day is also going to help his baseball swing. 
Same thing. He's not watching a baseball fly and travel by taking wrist shots, snap shots, slap shots, but it's helping him. And so part of it is trusting and believing in that process that this cross training will help you as a multi-sport athlete. Even if you're not seeing it today, it's going to be helping you in a, a week, a month, a year, um, and that you mercilessly keep at that process and improvement will happen. Yeah, I think that's a great way to frame that. Um, and the big reason this one's always on my mind, and I share this on the, the show regularly, my office looks out over the pool, so I'm always watching swim practice and water polo, and I'm thinking, God, what would it be like if you couldn't physically move people to where they needed to be because you're on the deck, right? And then how does that translate into what I do as a basketball coach or you as a baseball coach where 90% of your instruction has got to be verbal? And what are other techniques to use to make sure your messaging lands? And so that's where that kind of comes from. And so I appreciate the way in which you connected those dots. Let me ask a set, uh, an athletic director question. At the, I don't know, state conferences or at our local section conference that's coming up here on Monday, there are always some thematic ways to learn. But I often feel like the biggest struggle we face in, as athletic directors is having our body of work of evidence and experience and then confronting something that like we've never dealt with before. And where do you go to get guidance and help? And so I don't know if there's anything front of mind over 18 years that is, yo, this was a really interesting situation that transformed the way I approach the rest of my job. Maybe I fumbled, but I'm just curious. It's like, we get so many weird things that come across our desk. What are some that you could safely offer that don't violate any rules, but just as, yo, didn't expect this when I got into this chair? It's constant, right? And that's why I, you hear AD's joke, that one's for the book, that never thought that you'd have to deal with this or, or see this happen. And it's constant, whether it's crowd behavior, which I think a lot of ADs have been dealing with recently. We weren't able to have crowds for a while. And one of the biggest things coming back, it's been wonderful to see so many people filling our bleachers again, but they forgot how to behave. And I found, and this is the hardest one for me as an AD, it's not the student athletes or actually the student spectators who are the most difficult to manage. It's the adult spectator that's the most difficult to manage. And I haven't, I'm, I'm still looking for that perfect answer and solution because when you're dealing with an adult who is defiant and simply won't listen, it's a really tough spot to be in, uh, especially in a very public place with all eyes watching you. And so I, I've surrounded myself. Those questions go to my conference colleagues, wonderful conference. And same thing with my region colleagues, wherever we get. Um, and that's why I think it's important to have that open forum in any meeting where you can just do hot topics and, and look for some advice and feedback. And, hey, how would you deal with the situation? Because likely someone else has dealt with that situation before. Uh, in my inside out colleagues, I'm lucky to be in essentially a transformational leadership cohort among them. And, and boy, that's just uh, meant the world to me navigating difficult situations. How do you deal with this? I never thought I'd have this happen. And, and, and it did. Yeah. And I think the same can be said for coaches, right? Where often you get into a role where you feel like, okay, I'm in charge now. I'm the head coach. I'm supposed to have all these answers. And you've been taught throughout our lives, hey, fake it till you make it. And it's, yeah, I don't know if that's the best approach. 
I think there's power and vulnerability. I think it's okay to tell your kids, hey, I don't know, let me figure this one out. And then I think it's okay to call up one of your buddies that's been doing it for a lot longer or help somebody else. Like we don't know each other. I just reached out when you sent an email and it's let's chop it up. And ultimately I think getting the internal permission from yourself to do that is where you can really push the envelope in your growth. How would you invite people to get beyond their, let's call it insecurities, to be willing to do that as you mentor your own coaches? Well, and you use the right word, being vulnerable, right? Showing up as our authentic self. We get so used to defending ourselves that I think sometimes it's hard for us just to admit something everyone knows. We're not perfect, right? But our intentions are good. And, and I think that's where coaches get trapped sometimes is that we're showing up every day with the best intentions. That doesn't mean everything's going to work out the way we hoped or planned, the way that we envisioned. Sometimes it won't. And that's part of being a human being is, is that we are flawed people and we will make mistakes. And so I think it's also having the courage to to ask for a redo or to apologize or to admit, yeah, yep, communication piece, I can do better. And, and I'll work on that, whatever it might be. At the same time, while making sure that you're communicating that purpose and intent of, hey, here's what I'm trying to do, may have missed the spot, may have missed the mark. I think that's been a liberating and freeing moment, especially I would say for the coaches that work with me. They know that I know they're not perfect. And while we do have high expectations and while we do show up each day to do our absolute best, we're going to mess up from time to time. And so my perfect world as a leader is that everyone's operating from purpose. If all my coaches are operating from purpose and I know that's happening, I can support them all day long. And even though they might mess up and even though some complaints might come in, if I know that they're showing up with best intent to do what's best for kids for the rest of their lives, it's an easy conversation for me to have. Yes, again, great way to articulate that. And I think example of that is the vulnerability of one of my coaches to come in two days ago, just beside themselves because of the way an interaction with an athlete went, both frustration of how that athlete was showing up and being committed or not, and the way the coach felt bad in the moment for letting their emotions get the better of them and responding in a way that they felt wasn't great. And it was like, yo, what do I do here? And it's like, you go back and you wear it, you apologize, you show leadership that, hey, I could have done that better. Here's what I was trying to message. And all of a sudden now that relationship has grown because whether people realize this or not, conflict leads to intimacy. So like ultimately conflict's not a bad thing as long as you're willing to work through it and figure out your way towards a shared mission and vision. Yeah, and, and we can sound great all day long talking philosophy, but for anyone who's ever coached, they know that the sausage making is a whole different deal. It's an ugly process and that it won't always fit tidy into a couple few sentences about how it works. But I, the key, and you hit on it, is having that relationship. And if you have that relationship, you can have that difficult conversation and you can get past it. I think absent the relationship, I don't know that you can do that. And um, our student athletes, and I think this is true, no matter what school you walk into, they're looking for a coach who's approachable, someone that they can talk to, who's motivating and encouraging, who can inspire them to do greater things. And they want a competent coach. They want someone who knows what they're talking about. And I think that's that magic mix of what athletes are looking for in their high school coaches. 
and approachable is a big piece of that, that they're able to talk to them and work it through doesn't mean they're always going to agree and, and there might be conflict and there might be disagreements along the way. Brought up the word philosophy. So I want to ask you a philosophical question that I'm curious what your thoughts on this are. When it comes to the number of roles, responsibilities, areas of expertise that people are expected to have, right? In your role as both the activities director, the athletics director, a coach, you've taught, you've done all these things. And obviously there are areas that you could probably write a book about because you're an expert. And then there are areas where it's like, you know what? I'm just not very good at that. What's your take on shoring up your blind spots, so to speak, in regards to at the risk of framing this in a way you only have one path? I'm just going to use an analogy that as, I don't know, as a leader, there's the approach of, hey, I'm not very good at X, so I'm going to spend all my time trying to get better there versus kind of the tact I take, I'm not very good at X and I don't really care. I'm just going to hire somebody to do X for me. What is your thoughts and your philosophy on coaching both athletes, coaches, other leaders, human beings? How do you navigate that dichotomy between there's only so much time in a day for you to get good at, at certain things? And I think I'd align more with you, but it's the key is acknowledging your blind spots. And so one of the biggest probably positive changes for me as a coach and as a leader is becoming more reflective. I don't think that was natural for me. And, and so that's been something that I've had to be very intentional about, about asking myself difficult questions and sometimes philosophical questions. Uh, I did well in college, but philosophy was maybe the class I did the, the poorest in. And, and so this has take, taken a lot of in, intention to be able to really dig to it. And I think the other part is it's about asking questions. Right? How are we going to know without asking those questions? How does it feel to be coached by me? Or how does it feel to be led by me? And so what we can do is build systems where those questions are asked that provide the feedback. Because otherwise, we're just making up our own answers along the way. And so there are certainly places where I need to improve and will strive to continue to improve. I focus more on what I'm good at and what I'm strong at. And then like you, I have a wonderful team of people that help support me in this work. And the biggest change probably as a leader, and I'd say the same is true of coaching, is once you get to that place, I try to spend as much time as I can on leadership, knowing that management will sink me if I don't do it well. And so I've got to attend to the management details because those are the ones that the most complaints come in about. The communication's terrible, the bus didn't show up, there aren't any officials, you name it, that's the management piece. But really the legacy piece is leadership. And, and that is something that over time, I've developed more and, and need to continue to work on because early on, focus on management without question. Now I have a much healthier balance of, of what that looks like to manage versus lead and then get good people to help me with some of those management details to create the space to allow me to lead. I think it's true for an AD, it's true for a coach. Coaches, same thing. One of the biggest faults of, of coaches and it's of no intent, but it's not asking for help. It's not fully utilizing their assistant coaches, not getting them a practice plan before practice so they know what's going on, not using their captains, or even that parent who is raising their hand to say, I can help with communication, just let me. And so sometimes it's how we prioritize those tasks to make sure that we're able to do it, attend to what's most important. You brought up a really interesting contrast that I want to dig deeper into, leadership versus management. How would you in... A five-second version, 
identify the difference between those two, what each of those are, and how they are both necessary, but they're not necessarily the same. And you could be a really good manager who lacks the ability to lead, and you could be a really good leader who lacks the ability to manage. And the sweet spot is to figure out how to do both so that you're uplifting your influence in the way in which you talk about it in the book. Five seconds, huh? Five seconds. I, I think I no can do it. Five, I, I, I often think... ask people to give me a kindergarten version or a five-second version, but take as long as you want. No, I think I can do it in five, and it might be one of those head scratchers for the audience that they might need to dig deeper into yet. For me, management is goals. Leadership is purpose. That's as simple as it would be for me, is goals are management, leadership is purpose. I love that. And I think those of you that are listening that are wondering what Coach and I are talking about, he as a, a doctor of education and me with a master's in admin and leadership, it's something that is a, a, a real core piece of the curriculum is, is how are these different and how can you do both to reach the top of the profession versus being good at one versus the other. And this is an area I would actually say, yeah, I'm not trying to hire that long-term, that's an area where I think you actually have to develop both skills. What are your thoughts on that? As a coach or a leader, without question, you need to be able to manage in order to lead. If you can't manage, you're going to have a real hard time leading. I, I think there are some leaders who get to that point in their career where they're surrounded by enough people where they don't need to worry about the management as much, especially when you talk about some pro sports and high-level college sports. Not the world that we live in. It, it, that's not high school sports. That's not youth sports. Uh, you need to be able to do both and do both well. Yeah, no doubt. That's going to be a major takeaway from this. Okay, let's wrap up as you're getting short on time before your next meeting. I usually ask a question that is designed to be growth mindset, but it's what do you, what have you most recently changed your mind on? And often we get stuck in the weeds on coaching or teaching, whatever. It's just a blanket conceptual. Hey, I used to be over here and I'm, and now I'm here. And it was an intentional decision and here's why. But I want to roll into that. This is something I've been noodling on the last couple episodes that may, it, it, it may be interconnected. It may be completely separate. So you can tackle both or, or weave them together. But what's something you've stopped doing intentionally relative to how you used to approach things? And what's something you've now started doing that was also intentional to help move the needle and be better at what you do? Again, two different questions that are interwoven, but they're also not. Let me know what your, th your thoughts are on that. In, in terms of what I've changed my mind on and where I continue to try to grow and improve, I think from that technical and tactical aspect of the game and as a leader, constantly questioning and revisiting what works best for today's athlete. And I think that's the important part. If today's student, if today's youth are changing, we're probably going to have to change too. And, and sometimes we get stu stuck doing things the same way. So as a coach, whether it's a two-strike approach or base running leads or approach to pitching, I'm always looking for different and, and new ways to do it. I think there's a balance of it too, though, of understanding what fits best with you and, and who you are as a coach and what you want to get from it. For coaching philosophy and even as an as a AD, I don't, it's recent for sure because it's constantly evolving and I'm constantly sharpening this idea that we coach individuals and everyone comes to us absolutely differently. And we need to find that sweet spot to meet every individual's needs while at the same time lifting up the team. And you talked about or or and before. This is a both and. 
that we need uh, as coaches in 2023 and beyond and as leaders working with coaches to find that sweet spot of how can we support the individual while also lifting up the team, that it's not one or the other. And so one outcome of that has been for me, when I was an early coach, I, I had a handbook that was thick. It was a big handbook. And I've tried to shrink that down to be as flexible as possible. I, I always love the, the Coach K team rule, right? Coach Krzyzewski had one team rule, don't do anything detrimental to yourself or team, right? I haven't shrunk it down to that little yet. Uh, I'm getting closer. I'm, I'm working toward that all the time. So it, it's the idea of, of keeping you know, one mouth in two ears, right? And so let's keep listening and looking for new ideas. And sometimes that means not talking quite as much. The quote I love is, listen or your tongue will keep you deaf. The Native American proverb I like to use, listen or your tongue will keep you deaf. I love that. Great way to wrap up. Simplicity wins. Don't complicate winning, right? All of those things that allow you to keep the main thing. Coach, where can they find your book if they want to read Chasing Influence? And where can you, where do you live on the socials if they want to have a good follow? The best places to find me. So a weekly newsletter that's free to sign up for where you can get tips and ideas and some of the stories that I share. That's at www.chasing-influence.com. So chasing-influence.com. And then the, the book's available. Easiest way to get it is on Amazon. And have a Kindle version, hardcover, softcover, all available. And I'd love any feedback. If anyone's um, willing to give feedback, I'm always looking for for more feedback for future ideas and ways to improve. Love it. Thanks for taking the time out to be with us today. I know you got a few more minutes to transition before your meeting, but I appreciate you taking the time. This is fantastic. I appreciate it, Justin. Thanks for the conversation. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.